Good morning, friends. I'm going to uh, invite you to grab your beverages and come on back in and take a seat. If you are uh, newer visiting with us, my name is Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And if you're new, this is a fantastic time to be jumping into the life of Jericho Ridge. There's lots of ways for you to get connected, as Pastor Keith already talked about. And so we would love to help you uh, in that journey as we walk along together. So as we continue in our teaching time, uh, in our time together this morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about our teaching series that we've been going through. Now, a few weeks ago, I was uh, driving east along 72nd Avenue, just past 200th Street, and it was in the evening. I think I was taking a babysitter home, and I noticed that in the, the westbound lanes, there was a, a vehicle in the turning lane there that was, had their hazard lights on. So I was taking the sitter home, and I thought, you know, I, can't, I don't know if I can really stop right now. I'll, I'll think about it and uh, drop the sitter off. And so after I dropped the sitter off, I thought, you know what, it's like 10 o'clock at night. I have nowhere urgent to be. And if I was that person, I'd kind of want somebody to stop and see, at least offer some help and see if there was something that could be done. So I was driving back now uh, westbound on 72nd, and so I pulled over, and I called out to the driver of the minivan that has the hazard lights on. I said, can I help you at all? And the lady said, no, no thanks, no thanks. My, uh, my friend is coming with gas. I'm out of gas. My friend's going to come with gas. So I'm, I'm looked after that way. But she says, you know what? She says, you are the fifth person. No, the sixth, she says, that's offered to help me. And I mean, it wasn't that long that I drove the babysitter home back. So probably in the span of maybe f- not even 10, 15 minutes or so. And she said, I'll tell you what, this is the most generous and friendly town I have ever been in, she said. I said, I'm, I'm not from here. But uh, she says, where I live, and she lived in a small town. She said, where I live, not a soul would stop to help me. And here, in the big city, she thought of Langley as the big city, uh, six people have stopped in 15 minutes to help me. She says, I'm going to tell everybody I know, Langley is the most generous place I have ever been in in my life. It's something very different here, she says. So I pass that on to you as a compliment from this random stranger from a small town in northern BC. But it got me thinking, this stranger formed an opinion of our city based not on the signage. You know how every city says, a wonderful place to live, we love having you here, welcome here, all that stuff. She formed an opinion of our city not based on wonderful city planning, She formed her opinion on our city, not based on all the work of the tourism people and the efforts of our mayor and all those people. She formed a favorable opinion on the city of Langley based on the fact, solely on the grounds, that the people here were generous enough to stop and help a stranger in need. So whenever she looks on the map, whenever she thinks about Langley, one word is going to spring to her mind, generous. Those people are generous people. In Langley. Which got me thinking, I wonder why the word generous doesn't immediately and irrepressibly spring to mind when people think of Christians that they know. Why do so many Christians have a poor reputation when it comes to generosity? Well, we've been in a teaching series this fall uh, on the topic of identity. Seven things that ought to make 
you unique if you are a person who says, I follow Jesus and I claim to be a Christian. There are some things that ought to be unique attitudes or unique attributes that ought to characterize and mark your life. So we've been looking at some of those. And this morning, we come to one that is hotly contested ground. And I'll tell you why. The ground of generosity. And as uh, we talked about this series and talked with people about it, one of the things, the pushback that we got is saying, well, generosity, you can't put that on the list because I know lots of people who are not Christians And frankly, they're more generous than some of my friends who are Christians. So why does that make a Christian unique? I'm not sure if that qualifies, they would say, as something that makes Christians unique. And I think that's a fair critique in some ways. If we phrase the question, though, another way, I wonder if we could probe a little deeper into that. And that is, is there anything that ought to be unique about Christian generosity why are christians called to be generous is there any unique thing that ought to mark our life and i think in order to answer that we have to start where we started with every one of these unique pieces of our identity we have to look at the identity of god our father in heaven because just like every one of the other characteristics that we've looked at They're imprinted indelibly on our lives only because they are imprinted there by our maker and creator. And because they're so integral to God's character, he desires them to be integral to our character. And so Christians are to be generous because God is generous. As you look through the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments, God is repeatedly and radically and consistently revealed to us as a God who is generous in all of his actions with us. Isaiah 55, 7 says that God generously forgives us. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says he provides generously for our needs, for all of our needs. Titus chapter 3, verse 6 says God pours out his spirit generously in the world. James 1.5 says, If you lack wisdom, ask God, and he will give it generously to all without finding fault. And so God is a God who is revealed to us in the Scriptures as one who is radically generous. It's a core element of who he is and how he operates in the world. God so loved the world that he gave. His fundamental posture is that of a generous giver. And so, as Christians, we ought to be generous. And when we are generous, we are actually acting in consistency with the character of our Father who is in heaven. I love how author Gordon MacDonald puts this in his little devotional on generosity. He reminds us that God will not ask anything of us that he has not first done for us. God does not ask anything of us that he has not first done for us. So God doesn't ask us to be generous if God himself is not generous. But because God is fundamentally generous in his orientation towards us, pouring out his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace in the cross, pouring out his spirit generously in the world, 
then he asks us and invites us into that process of generosity. And he invites us into it because when we grow in generosity, then we grow to be more like God. We grow closer to his heart. And that's the point of one of the Psalms that I want us to look at this morning. It's a Psalm tucked away in the middle of the Old Testament. So turn with me in your Bibles or the YouVersion app on your phone to Psalm chapter 37. And Psalm 37 is a study in contrasts. It's actually a a masterful literary work that's beautiful and full of complexity, and almost all of that is obscured to us when we translate it into English, because when it was written, it was written in Hebrew, and it's written actually as a beautiful piece of poetry, and an acrostic poetry. So each new stanza starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which you'd never know from reading it in English. But its core point is actually a teaching poem, and it's intended to paint a very stark contrast between two ways of living and then leave the reader to decide which way of living would you like to pursue. And so each point in that that contrasts are two kind of characters or archetypes. One is the godly, the contrast between those who follow God and those who do not, whom the writer labels the wicked. So let's look at the middle section of Psalm chapter 37. I'm going to start reading in verse 21. So there's a lot of contrasts that are painted beforehand, how God takes care of those who wait patiently for him to act. And then in verse 21, there's sort of a core notion of contrast that comes up. The wicked, it says, borrow and never repay. But the godly are generous givers. The Lord blesses, those that the Lord blesses will possess the land, but those he curses will die. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by their hand. Once I was young, now I'm old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. The godly always give generous loans to others, and their children are a blessing. And later on in verse 34, the writer says, Put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily along his path. You've seen what the wicked, the lives of the wicked look like. And you've seen what the life of the godly looks like. Which do you want to pursue? The Lord saves those who find shelter in him, finishes the psalm. And so the psalm reminds us that the Lord will never forget those who are godly, even in the midst of their turmoil, even in the midst of intensely challenging times in their life he will watch over them he will keep them safe but the core element that the author uses to draw this picture out into reality between the contrast between living in in wickedness and living a godly life is around one key element and that is around generosity the godly says are generous the wicked are not generous The godly are generous because they're simply reflecting the character of their father in heaven. The wicked are not, and they're choosing not to reflect God's character. 
the godly reflect the character of God, and because of that, they're generous in their business practices, their decisions. They're a blessing to others around them, financially and otherwise, relationally and in every other way. And the psalmist is making the point, godly people are generous people because the God that we serve is a generous God. Looking through Psalm 37, the author intends this middle section to stand out in a significant way to make his point that the godly are known for their trust in the Lord and their trust in the Lord is evidenced by one thing. They're generous. The godly are generous. Godly people give generous loans to others. The godly people are generous givers. And you may be thinking, okay, 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 whatever, I get it. But we still haven't talked about the contrast and that contested ground around here. I still know plenty of atheists who give a ton of money to good causes. I know some people who would not call themselves Christian and they give generous loans to others. So we still haven't demonstrated what makes Christian generosity unique. In fact, we might have actually demonstrated the opposite, that those who live a lifestyle of generosity, though they might not call themselves Christians, might actually be moving in a significant direction towards understanding something about God's heart and his character. And they might outpace some people who call themselves Christians, but whose lives may not demonstrate the same radical generosity that God calls us to. And so it's a good question that bears some uh, additional investigation. So I want us to trace the theme of generosity through the pages of Scripture as it's developed in the Bible. And I think one of the first things that can be said about the fact that godly people are radically generous people, and if Christians uh, are aspiring to be radically generous people, is that we have to start where the Scripture starts, and that is the fact that generosity in the Scriptures is about so much more than money. It's about almost everything but money, but it includes money. Radically generous people, the Scriptures say, give mercy first and foremost, not just money. Because think about it. Anybody can write a check to a cause or another person or an organization. But when the Scripture talks about generosity and linking and thinking about our resources, it talks about our hearts. And when a Christian gives, they give a part of their heart with their resources. And this is what Jesus is driving at, right? When he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your mercy and your money are linked together and they will flow together. Your heart, your thoughts, your prayers, your talents, your best efforts will all flow to where your resources are allocated. And this is actually what God is interested in when he invites us to follow him in a journey of generosity. Not that we give God our money, but that we give him and others our hearts and that our money actually then flows very naturally out of that process. And this is where Christian generosity makes a very stark difference or departure from generosity that is not rooted in a faith and trust in God. Because generosity that's rooted and linked with mercy at its heart is also in the scriptures linked with sacrifice. And in fact, sacrifice is what differentiates generosity 
from the more general category of giving. Sacrifice is distinct to Christian generosity because anybody can write a check, but radically generous people know that it's not about the amount, it's about the cost. This is why God instructs us as people of faith to release our hearts to him and then our resources towards those who are in need in the world. And the scripture is very clear about how we go about doing this. That as Christians, we should not feel comfortable if we only release one of those two things to God and allow him to use that. If we just start giving money to organizations that work with the poor or the marginalized or any other uh, agency that you would think about, but you don't get involved with your heart in some way, there's an incongruity there. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10. God says, Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, because the Lord your God will bless you in everything that you do. Or Proverbs 22, verse 9. Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. Or 1 Timothy six eighteen, Be rich in good works and generous to those who are in need. Always be ready to share with others. Christian generosity is sacrificial generosity where we spend ourselves on behalf of another. It's where we understand and begin to invest our lives in the thing that is most important to God, and that is people. And when you and I make generous sacrifices to see that the poor are fed, that widows and orphans are cared for, and disenfranchised receive love, we're not just giving our time and our resources, we're connecting those to the heart of God in significant ways. Let me give you an example of this. I have a friend who was sick and tired of uh, people coming up to him all the time on the street and asking him for money, and he felt in those situations completely paralyzed because he felt like, well, first of all, he never carries cash. So, you know, he felt like, well, I could say, hey, I really don't have anything to give you, which is technically true, but from a resource perspective, he said, I have my family's well supplied. I have enough money. I certainly have, you know, more money than these individuals that come to me and ask. So to say to them in good conscience, I have nothing to give you, you know, it's technically true, but from a heart perspective, I feel like I'm really lying to them. And he said, you know, and the other thing I feel is that I feel this level of sort of when I do give it to somebody, I kind of feel a little bit guilty or a little less guilty. I just, it depends on the day. It depends on the person's circumstances, all of these types of things. You know, I don't feel like I have a good answer to the question of when somebody comes up to me on the street and asks me for spare change or for money. And so he kind of wrestled with this for a while and he came to a decision in his heart where he said, you know what? I think I'm overthinking this. What if I just carried $10 with me at any time and any time somebody came up to me and asked for money or asked for food, I just had $10 to give them. Like it's 10 bucks. It's not going to bankrupt my family. 
And even if somebody says, people, I've never had people ask me this every day, but even if they did ask me it for an entire month, it'd be like 300 bucks. Could I spare 300 bucks? Probably. He says, then as I began to do this, he says, I began to feel this incredible liberty and freedom in that moment, in that conversation, because I actually had an answer, a generous answer to a need that somebody was presenting me with. And I didn't have to overthink it. Well, I wonder what they're going to do with the money. Are they going to use it properly? Are they going to buy drugs with it? I don't know. He said, you know what? I just decided I'm going to be generous with it. And I'm going to let my heart be touched with compassion. Instead of always, he always felt before, my heart has a wall around it. and I'm always a little bit suspicious and distant. And, you know, I just, I'm not sure how to handle this person and this conversation. He said, I just made a choice to be generous with it. He said, it's incredible the way that my heart started to feel different towards people that I encountered. When somebody approached me, I had an answer for it. And he says, I decided then in my heart, you know, one day if I stand before the Lord and give an account for myself, I just want to err on the side of generosity. Like, I just want to, if God asked me about how I treated the poor, I want to be able to say, you know what, God? Every time you put somebody in my path, I responded generously. And I want to err on the side of mercy instead of on the side of indifference. And so as we come into Thanksgiving and into Christmas, and as we think about things like our application for Guatemala in 2014, I want you to ask yourself to the question, how much of your generosity is linked or not linked with God's heart for justice in the world and seeing mercy flow into the lives of those who need it. Generous people make sure that at least some of their resources are expended on behalf of those in need, those in great need. Oftentimes, people will look at uh, the statistics of how much money people give away and they use them to make a point of how little people give to charity. But I want you to look at this chart from Statistics Canada and it's reasons for people make reasons people gave for making a financial donation. The thing that stands out to me on this chart is the high percentage of people who gave not to fulfill some kind of obligation or to get a tax credit or to feel less guilty about themselves and their standard of suburban living. This shows that 9 out of 10 people who gave to charity in Canada gave because they felt compassion for those in need. Their mercy is connected with their money, as it should be. But again, this is only kind of part of the story. Because there's people, again, who are not people of faith, who say, well, I'm merciful, I love the poor. And in fact, there's many who spend themselves on behalf of the poor much more diligently than I do as a person of faith, or that you do as a person of faith. So it doesn't fully explain the difference between that's trying to be painted for us here in Psalm chapter 37, that the godly are generous and the wicked are not generous. So what else does the Bible tell us about generosity that would help us here? Well, radically generous people give mercy, not just money, but radically generous people also who are Christians do something different than people who are not radically generous. Radically generous people give consistently and not conveniently. And this is where we get at the heart, more at the heart of what it means to be generous. People who give consistently, not conveniently. Because generosity, like Pastor Keith talked about with our intentions, we have to actually 
act on those intentions in some way. But when we give our talent, our ideas, our resources, our time, only when we have surplus of those things, that's not generosity. Generous people keep first things first. Generous people give consistently, not conveniently. If you only give when you have left over, that's not generosity in any way. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 32, verse 8. Generous people plan to do what is generous. And they stand firm in their generosity. Here's how I think about this. I think about my fitness routine. So this spring, I had really good intentions that I was going to run three times a week. I had fully intended to do it. I had been doing it pretty good in the winter, but I thought the spring, you know, the weather's turning a little bit sunnier now, I am totally going to run three times a week. Well, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, I ended up not running three times a week. But basically, when I look back at those reasons, the core reason is that I actually put other things into my calendar, and then I would try and sneak in a run wherever there wasn't something in my calendar that I could kind of fit it in somewhere. And not surprisingly, there never seemed to be any space to go for a run in my calendar. My plan was built on running when it was convenient as opposed to planning, making a plan and running consistently, and thus my plan in the spring was a failure. And here's my point with that. I don't actually know a single person who is radically generous that does it just by trying to squeeze generosity into their schedule or into their budget. The people that I know that are radically generous actually and excel in giving away their time and their resources. They put volunteering into their calendar first and then they build other things around it. People that I know who excel at giving away their finances do it off the top, not at the end of the month when they've run out of money. Generous people plan, Isaiah says, to do what is generous. And then when they're tested in that plan, and when it's not going to work out like they think it is, they stand firm in their generosity. When they're tested to redirect their time, their talents, their ideas, they go back to the plan and they say, all right, this is the commitment that I made or that we made. How are we going to live that out in the face of this reality? And so the question here that I have for you is, do you, act, do you have a plan? Do you have a generosity plan in place in your life for how you're going to invest your time and your talents and your treasures this season? If you don't, it's likely that you will only be generous when it's convenient, which is nice, but that isn't generosity. So do you have a plan? Because generous people give consistently not conveniently. So let's look at our last characteristic of people who are radically generous. They not only give mercy, not just money, so they're not about easing their guilty conscience. They give consistently, not conveniently. They also give indiscriminately and not reciprocally. And this is one of the hardest ones to do. It's one of the hardest ones for me. I wrestle with this one. Because when I give... 
in my heart of hearts, I'm expecting something in return. Which means I'm giving with an expectation of reciprocity. I'll have them over to our house for dinner because I think they probably would invite us over to their house for dinner some other time. But here's where Christian generosity really ramps it up because God's generosity is completely different. It's lavishly reckless. Lavish recklessness characterizes God's generosity. Look with me what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For God gives sunlight both to the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love, if you are generous only with those who love you or are going to be generous with you in some return, what reward is there for that? Even evil people, Jesus says, do that. That's not hard in any way, shape, or form to do. In other words, Jesus says, I need to let you in on the secret of God's generosity. God gives without any discrimination and without needing anything in return. God gives generously both to those who love him and to those who curse his name and deny his existence. That's just how generous he is. I, on the other hand, give mostly to those whom I think will thank me or think well of me or perhaps give me something back in return. I can remember being with our team in Guatemala a couple of years ago and we were doing what we always do there. We were doing a wheelchair distribution. And we distribute wheelchairs there uh, every spring to those with mobility challenges. And I can remember seeing this one guy, who's probably about my age, in the lineup. And his legs had been crushed in an accident, and so he couldn't work. And when we go out on these distributions, we're way, way far away from where we store all of the wheelchairs. So you pack them all up in a truck, and you take them up there, and we pray every time, God... We think we know who's going to come to this wheelchair distribution, but only you know. Could be more people, could be less people, could be kids, could be adults. So we really never have a good idea as to how many chairs we're going to have, if we're going to have the right amount, and if they're going to be the right chairs, because chairs are coming in all shapes and sizes and meet all kinds of different needs. So when I saw this guy, I thought, we need to make sure we have the perfect chair for this guy. Like, uh, so I went back into our uh, inventory of chairs and I thought, oh, great, we have a really nice chair for this guy. It's perfect for his size, for his weight. He, he, he might, this would totally, this would radically change his life. Like this chair here in Canada would cost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It's an amazing condition, like we should give this chair to this guy. And I'm thinking all about how this chair is going to change this guy's life. And I'm getting all excited about it. And, oh, our team's going to be so excited. So we kind of, you know, put the chair aside for him. He comes to the front of the line. And our team's getting him fitted up in this chair. And I'm kind of in my limited Spanish. I'm asking the guy, so... What do you think of the chair? <gasps> and I'm expecting him to say like, oh, gracias, thank you so much. You know, this is amazing. Thank you for coming all the way from North America with this gift from these people I've never heard of. This is going to change my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I'm waiting eagerly. This guy looks me in the face and he says, 
don't you have one that isn't pink? I don't want it if it's pink. And I was taken aback. I thought, here, I've done all this work for this guy. Like, I've picked this chair out of the lineup for him, like, so that somebody else doesn't get it. And here, I'm thinking, somebody has raised money for this chair. Probably a good person at Jericho Ridge or their friends have raised like 125 bucks for this chair. And this ungrateful guy here, whom I have come all this way to serve, doesn't even want it. This is ridiculous. I had specifically chosen this chair for him. I had to walk away because I was about to say something very unpastoral to him in that moment. But as we debriefed our experience with our team later on that night, it occurred to me that even though I was here in Guatemala to serve, to be altruistic, in my heart, I had an expectation that our generosity would result in an expression of gratitude. I wasn't giving to get that expression of gratitude, but I did expect it. And so the question that I had to wrestle with, that it kind of unpackaged in my heart a little bit is, when I give, do I expect to get something in return? When I give, what do I expect to get in return? And the reality is, that when God gives to us, the very definition, what makes his gifts generous, is that he gives lavishly, indiscriminately, and without any thought of reciprocation whatsoever. And so when God gives, he expects nothing in return. That is the heart of Christian generosity. We don't give to get something. We don't give to people who are deserving of our gifts or our time or our energy. We don't give to people who are in the same socioeconomic bracket as us so they can return the favor at some point. We don't give 10 bucks to the person that we meet on the street mandating that that person uses it wisely. We don't give to charity so we can feel better about ourselves, get guilt off of our back, get an income tax receipt at the end of the year. We don't give of our lives and our time because we want less guilt in our lives. We give generously as Christians because our Father in heaven has given generously to us over and over and over again with no thought for what he would get in return. Lavishness and recklessness characterize God's generosity. And I think this is most clearly seen for us in the picture of Jesus. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, the author says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. And so, we also ought to be willing to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters someone has enough money to live well, sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? So dear children, Jericho, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we can be confident when we stand before God. And in this regard, John's saying to us, the most generous acts are really never financial. They involve giving of yourself. 
And this is what we remember when we gather and celebrate communion together. We remember the lavish generosity of God. In another place in the scriptures, it said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. If God was willing to do that, how would he not also, along with Jesus, graciously and generously give you all things? We remember when we partake of communion together that Christ willingly and generously gave his own body for us. And so we commemorate that by partaking bread together. He generously poured out his blood for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we remember this and remind ourselves of how generous God is by partaking of the fruit of the vine, grape juice together. And so when we do this, it's a reminder to sink deeper into our lives the lavish and reckless generosity that God has poured out in Jesus Christ for you and for me. And so we invite all who are members of God's family to participate in this. This is God's table. It's not Jericho Ridge's table. I'm going to invite those who are serving to make their way there now. And Ron and the team are going to come and lead us in some uh, songs of response. And I want to remind you that our uh, prayer team, our support team is here to pray with you. And we would love to serve you in that way. Some of you come with heavy hearts this morning and burdens of a difficult season or difficult week. And I don't want you to leave here bearing those alone. We want to fulfill that mandate of generously shouldering that with you. Not because somehow we're wonderful people and the people that pray for you, although they are great people, but they just want to demonstrate God's radical generosity to you by standing with you in that time. They would love to lift your requests or points of celebration up to God. So don't reject their generous offer. As we take the bread, as we take the cup, Ron and the team will lead us through. We just invite you to spend a few moments reflecting and asking God to search your heart if there's any areas in your life that you would invite him to deal with and put his finger on. Maybe it's an area of where you're still growing in generosity. And you say, God, I just, I want to open my heart up to you more today to grow increasingly in that area because of the amazing things that you've done for me in Jesus. Maybe for you today, you've actually never said yes to Jesus. And you've, you've, something for you has clicked today and you thought, you know what? Finally, it's starting to make a little bit more sense to me what you're talking about, about a Christian being marked by certain things in their life. I actually want to take that step and I want to identify myself as a person who is a part of God's family. If that's you, we'd invite you just to come and talk to us as we serve communion today and we would love to pray with you. Don't leave.